Good morning. I'm Cedric Long, board chair here at North Haven Church. Uh, there's pain in our community, and the Board of Elders would like to lead North Haven and our congregation in addressing our community in the name and love of Jesus Christ. And uh, Pastor Adam has an especially timely and important message, and the Board of Elders put together a uh, video message in support of uh, his sermon that you're about to see. And we'd just like to uh, ask you to prayerfully consider the message that uh, he'll be bringing to us today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Brad Jardine. And I'm Sue Fleck. And currently we serve on the North Haven Board of Elders. Recent events in our state and country continue to emphasize the racial strife in our world. As a board, we are seeking to better understand these issues and are sensitive to the Lord's direction as to how we as a body of Christ should respond. As we have become increasingly aware of the ever-present suffering and oppression of our marginalized brothers and sisters, we believe God is calling us as a church to step into what he is doing to help build racial unity in our midst. James writes in his letter, So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. We no longer are living without a realization that many members of our community face oppression, and so we as a church must engage in the work of lifting up and supporting our neighbors. Certainly, many, if not all of us, would like to support and reach out to minority groups in our surrounding community. But uncertainty about what to do or fear of doing or saying the wrong thing may have been barriers to doing anything. However, we believe our faith in Jesus Christ compels us to seek his direction in how we can be used as champions of reconciliation. As Paul wrote to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. One of the core tenets of the vision of North Haven Church is to connect with our community. Over the last decade, our immediate neighborhood has become more culturally and racially diverse. This is something we as a church should celebrate and embrace. The board believes God has placed us in this location to share the love of Jesus, his salvation, and the coming of his kingdom with those around us. We want our church community to be a reflection of what John saw and recorded in Revelation. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As a board, we have committed to explore ways we can be ambassadors for Christ with all people, especially among those across the racially diverse groups who live in our neighborhoods. When we gave our lives to Jesus, we set aside our selfish desires and gave everything we have over to Jesus our King. Our intention is to move forward, just as Paul expressed to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by allegiance to the Son of God, whom loved me and gave himself up for me. We pray you will come alongside us as we begin to follow where Jesus is leading in this incredibly important work of racial reconciliation in our community. We want to be Christ's instruments of peace and reconciliation in our world today. We now invite you to prayerfully consider Pastor Adam's message and join us in being used by Christ as we begin this important work. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to North Haven. In November of 1960, a judge, a federal judge, ordered North 
uh, I'm sorry, New Orleans public schools to begin opening its schools to African-American children. Uh, subsequently, as a result of that, what ended up happening is that all of the, uh, the white families decided not to send their kids to those schools. And then simultaneously, African-American families decided not to send their children either. And so nobody was going to go except for one six-year-old girl. Anybody know her name? Ruby Bridges. Every day, Ruby Bridges would walk to that school, walk into that school alone, flanked on both sides by, by uh, angry protesters who were hurling insults and threatening this six-year-old girl. And she would courageously and valiantly walk inside that school, and two U.S. Marshals would go in front, two U.S. Marshals would be behind, and she would spend that day at school all alone just with her teachers. There's an author, um, a professor, a Harvard professor, Robert Coles. He was curious about what went into making kids courageous in these kinds of moments. And so he went and interviewed Ruby Bridges' mother. And in his book, The Moral Life of Children, Ruby Bridges' mother speaks of her daughter and says this, she says, there's a lot of people who talk about doing good and a lot of people who argue about what's good and what's not good, but there are folks who just put their lives on the line for what is right. Now, that's a profound statement. Now, for, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here at North Haven. It's been my privilege to be able to, to pastor this church. And uh, to my left is a gentleman. Uh, his uh, name is Mark Baker. Uh, he is my best friend, and uh, he is a pastor at a church in Brooklyn Park uh, called Grace Fellowship Church. And I'll let him talk about that here in just a little bit. But first of all, I want to just reemphasize what Alyssa said earlier. If you are new, if this is your first time here, or you've been new to North Haven, I would love a chance to meet with you. After the service, uh, you can certainly come up to me and introduce yourself. Uh, but then also, we're going to have this pizza with staff opportunity and I invite you to please join us for that. Um, I will gladly sacrifice my pizza and give it to you. Um, we just uh, an opportunity to get to know each other and know how we can be praying for you. But as I mentioned, this guy is uh, Mark Baker, and he and I have been uh, friends now for eight years. Um, eight years ago. Eight long years. Eight long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, we, we met each other as uh, I became uh, the worship pastor at Grace Fellowship Church eight years ago, and uh, we immediately developed uh, a close friendship, and uh, one thing, or two things became really abundantly clear. One was that we had a lot of differences. I mean, we just grew up differently, different experiences, um, and uh, different contexts in which we found ourselves, uh, but we also realized, and this is a big part of what has made our relationship so strong over the years, is, is we both possess and possessed a uh, courageous willingness to enter into difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations and about tough issues. 
Yeah, yeah. Morning, North Haven. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, again, um, I'm Mark Baker. Um, real quickly, a little bit about me. I am one of the pastors at Grace Fellowship Church in Brooklyn Park. I've uh, been working there full-time for six years now. Uh, my family's actually here this morning back there. My wife, Kelsey, and my girls, Amaya and Eliana. Um, and yes, you can clap for them. They're great. Um, and uh, as Adam mentioned, um, our friendship has grown uh, and changed over the last eight years, and it didn't take a whole lot of time for us to start jumping into some pretty intense conversations, um, but there was definitely a process that we'll talk a little bit about um, this morning. Um, but one of the most important journeys and discussions that we've had has been around race. And just like Ruby Bridges' mother stated, the church must have the courage to enter into a discussion. Not about what is good, not about what is wrong, but about what is right. That's important. So, to get us started this morning, start with a really big question. What's the problem? Big, wide, and vast question. How do we begin to define what the problem is? Because everyone knows and can sense that something is going on. Something's not right. It's been going on. Literally, we watched it in our backyard over the last year here in the Twin Cities. Churches all over the world highlight an important and undeniable truth that we're all created uniquely and beautifully. Uniquely and beautifully. Psalms 139 verses 13 and 14 says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But we also know that sin has entered the world. And because of sin, humanity often has a distorted view of the world and of other people. Yeah, so a number of months ago, Mark and I actually, we began to have a concerted conversation about words and definitions. Because we use a lot of words, especially in this conversation, but do we really know what we mean? Or are we meaning different things when we say them? And so we had that conversation, and I think it's important for us as we venture into this, uh, because just as Mark mentioned, sin does twist and distort what is ideal. And, and so let's at least get on the same page as to what these, these terms are. The first word is, is a, you know, it's a pretty big word, and that is the word racism. Racism, by its definition, right, by its definition, is a, uh, a, a belief that one's race is superior and that that superior race has the right to dominate others or that a particular racial, racial group is inferior to others. Now, that's a word that gets used, but another word that gets used a lot in this conversation is the word prejudice. Now, prejudice is defined as the act of having an unfavorable opinion or feeling of another group of people. And this belief is formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason of what that particular group actually is. And then a third word that I think is important to our conversation is the word judgment. Now, when we talk about judgment, I'm not talking about condemnation. Or rather, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about an act of unfairly determining a person or group's worth based on information that really doesn't have anything to do with that person or, or that group. 
Now, often when we think about these words, whether it's racism or prejudice or judgment or any of these other words, one of the difficult things that is real in our conversation is that we tend to associate these words with grandiose displays. And so when we think of racism, for instance, we immediately associate racism with grandiose exhibition of the, of, of that happening, whether it's uh, crosses being burnt in front yards or the Ku Klux Klan or the civil rights movement of the 60s. We don't often associate these words to subtle ways in which they exist. And, and so I think it's helpful in our conversation to look at another term uh, that I think is maybe more prevalent than that is microaggressions, microaggressions. Now, microaggressions, if you haven't uh, you know, heard of this term before, they are subtle yet offensive comments or actions directed at a non-dominant group. And these comments can either be intentional or they can be unintentional. And they can then reinforce a given stereotype, such as like jokes, for instance, about a particular race or nationality or, or people group. And then one last um, word that I want to look at is the word ignorance. And the reason where ignorance is important to, to, to assess is, is first with its definition. It is lack of knowledge, the absence of knowledge or education or awareness. So ignorance, by its definition, can be present in any of our lives. But here's the crux. Once we become aware of something, namely a problem, ignorance is then impossible. By its definition. I'll give you an example. So my wife and I, um, we in 2012 had the privilege to go with a, uh, an organization called Destiny Rescue. They're a Christian organization that works to eradicate sex trafficking all throughout the world. Uh, we, we actually partner with them um, here at uh, North Haven. Uh, it's one of the ministries that we support. And uh, we went to, my wife and I, to Thailand and Cambodia over the course of two weeks. And we traveled all throughout those countries. And we saw firsthand firsthand these, I mean, we walked the red light districts, and we saw these kids who were imprisoned by the sex trade industry. This was something that we were largely unaware of prior to that experience. But because of that experience, we became horrifyingly aware of the, the, the plight and the injustice uh, throughout the world in regards to that specific context. And so we then had two options. We could either decide to be a part of the solution in any way that we could, or we could avert our eyes. And my wife and I, we chose to become a part of the solution, and we became committed uh, to doing whatever we could to help Destiny Rescue and those kids. Yeah. Uh, I like that, that picture that you're saying there, um, because you couldn't be ignorant any longer. Yeah. Uh, as I think we can say from the beginning, um, for a long time, the sin that has been raging and perpetuated the reality of racism, prejudice, judgment, microaggressions, and ignorance has led to a long history of atrocities here in America. We know that Native Americans suffered at the hands of those who came and subjected them to mass force displacement through the 1800s. We know that in the 17th century, many Africans were bought and sold as slaves, knowing that entire families were separated through the, the process of buying and selling human lives. In 1942, following the bombing of Pearl Harbor, 120,000 Japanese Americans were sent to internment camps. 
half of those, 60,000, were children. And Asian American discrimination continues still today and has become severely heightened over the last year. And I think this is specifically important for your community because here in your area, there are over 75,000 Hmong people that live here. So we're aware of this. It's these people that we're connecting with are in our communities and they've been affected through the history of our country. And we know that um, the civil rights movements of the 60s um, began a decades-long process um, to eradicate, institutionalize racial discrimination and segregation. And we also know that we have a, a history in our country of prejudice towards Muslim Americans. And again, that's crucially important for us because in the Twin Cities, there are over 180,000 Muslim people. Yeah, so for the past 300 years, uh, we, we've experienced what I'd like to call a racial irritation. That statement doesn't do it justice, but, but there's been an itch. There's been an itch, and, and, and with any itch, we can respond by one of three ways. We can either, one, we can scratch it vigorously, making it worse, or we can try to ignore it, or we can put the proper medication on it. And I, I think that for myself and for Mark, we unequivocally, we have committed to put the proper medication on this, to do whatever we can to be a part of the solution. And I genuinely hope that we as a church, North Haven Church, especially given this community, I mean, for those of you that have been a part of this community for, for the last 50, 60 years, you've seen firsthand how this, this community has changed. It isn't like it was 50, 60 years ago. It is much more diverse. We have an opportunity as a church, not, not deserving grace. We don't deserve grace. We are a people that don't deserve it, but yet we are given it nonetheless to then be a people to lead the way to be a part of the solution. I hope that we can insert ourselves into being part of the change. Because just like Jesus changes us from the inside out, when we decide to give our lives to Jesus Christ, he changes us from the inside out. We can thus be a part of changing this problem from the inside out as well. We can lead the way. We could do what's right. To begin doing this, I think I, I, I'd like to invite you to be a part of three vows. Three specific vows that I think will, will help us, enable us as a church, as a people, to be able to do what's right. The first is this. I vow, I vow to step through barriers and connect with the oppressed. I vow to step through barriers and connect with the oppressed. There's a beautiful depiction of this in John chapter 4. I've, I've preached about this before. You probably have heard about it in Sunday school. But Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well... Jesus was always in the business of breaking through barriers and connecting with people on a very human one-on-one -on -one level. And here in this, in this interchange, what's, what's really important to understand is that at this time in history, Jews and Samaritans hated one another. I mean, this went beyond the Vikings and Packers fan I mean, it was, it was a loathing that they had. When, they wouldn't be caught dead with each other, let alone talk to one another. But yet we see here in John chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, look at this. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How, how, why are you talking to me, basically, she says. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus was always in the business of breaking through barriers. Again, connecting with people one-on-one on a human level. Jesus took the initiative. He willingly and intentionally broke through those barriers, making human connections. And that's the first step. That's the first step towards being a part of the change. The first step is taking the initiative and courageously, intentionally breaking through barriers and respectfully connect. And in doing so, we got to understand that that's going to require some level of persistence. That's going to require some level of patience on our part. I think we often forget that God is infinitely patient with you and I. We do not deserve his patience. I know I don't. But he is not only infinitely persistent and pursuant of you and I because he loves us that much, but he is infinitely persistent and patient in how he approaches each of us. And he calls us to that level. He calls us to be persistent and patient with each other breaking through those barriers towards genuine connection. Yeah, I, I think this first vow, um, we're sitting here this morning, I feel like me, you're like, okay, yeah, stepping through barriers, connecting with people. Sure, you can do that. Um, and then you start to process, you might go home today and think about this, pray about these vows, God, what are you leading us to, leading me to? And then you have a realization. There's deceptively more difficult than we think because to do this, God's calling us outside of our comfort zones. We love comfort. And we'll run from discomfort. We'll avoid it. So this idea is forcing us to move out of our comfort zones. And as we take a look at that passage from, uh, as we read about the Samaritan woman in Jesus, we may have this reaction too. It's like, that's a great story. But I don't really see how that applies to me. I don't think that could be any further from the truth because I think what we're seeing here is what it looks like when you truly step outside of your comfort zone. You're not supposed to talk to that person. And Jesus says, there's another way. The act of connecting with people who are different than us is hard. It requires a specific bravery and definitely intentional hard work. Intentionality and initiative are critical. The question is, this morning, church, will you step into the gap? Will you step into the gap? Do you want to see a change in your communities? Because this is the work. This is the hard work, but it's also the important work because it's the work of Jesus. 
And no matter what he's calling us to, no matter how hard or how difficult or how scary, he always leads the way. We cannot step through barriers and genuinely, genuinely connect with anyone, but especially the pressed, if we sit content in front of our computer screens updating our latest Facebook posts. That can't be the only basis, the only foundation in which we break through barriers and connect with others. We have to step through barriers and commit ourselves to genuinely connect, and that requires face-to-face interaction. Where did that go? Maya Angelou in her poem, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, uh, she, she says this, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper shades of meaning. So that first, that first vow is so critical. I, I vow to step through barriers, because there are many. Step through barriers and genuinely connect with the oppressed. But the second vow is equally important, and that is I vow to listen. I vow to listen and seek to understand the pain of the oppressed. I vow to listen and seek to understand the pain of the oppressed. Hmm. Yeah, I love um, my Angela's words that you read. Um, I also think she uses some beautiful words uh, in her poem, Still I Rise. I'm going to read some excerpts from it this morning. Did you see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling. I bear in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. Listening and seeking to understand. That's a posture important for for you and I. Uh, But when we do that, we begin to see something that maybe we hadn't been aware of or seen before. And that is an awareness and understanding of what I have done. And this is true in any relationship. (laughs) This is true in your marriage relationships. This is true in your relationships with your children. This is true in any coworker relationship, in any friend relationship. When we begin to, to seek to understand each other's pain, we begin to not only see what we've done, but also what we haven't done. And listening and understanding... It gives me, it gives you the ability then to be able to address the pain. Yeah. I don't know, you don't have to raise your hands this morning, but I I can say for myself, and you may agree with me, that when I get uncomfortable, I tend to talk. And talk. And talk. It's true. And and talk. I want to cover the silence, because I'm uncomfortable. But I think what we miss sometimes in that is when we step into those challenging conversations, we need to first seek to listen. Now, we know that active listening is something that requires pretty vigorous practice. But I know 
Sometimes, again, don't raise your hands, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse, sometimes we practice passive listening. Passive listening is not giving someone our full attention. And I think as the church, we really haven't done a good job of giving people of color the full attention they deserve and they need. The church must commit to the work to hear the hurt and the pain, to not speak, to not give excuse, to not discredit, but to truly listen. Adam and I go on walks a couple times a week in the morning to grown men that like to go on walks. That's a thing. <laughs> it's okay. It's early in the morning. It's six in the morning. That means I have to get up even earlier than that, which I despise, but that's my best friend, so I'll do it for him. Works for us. Works on our schedules. Um, but these walks are, are really important because we get to talk about a lot of different things. When I'm exercising, I'd prefer to talk if it's possible because otherwise I have to focus on the other part, which is exercising, and no one thinks that's that much fun. So um, we talk. We talk about all sorts of different things, and one of the things that we talk about is race. And we learn to understand each other. And we learn to understand different perspectives. I think one story that sticks out to me, because there's examples of, of doing a good job of listening and examples of not so much. There was one morning where we were walking, and it was cold, so pick any month that's not June, July, or August, and that's when we were walking. Um, and we were talking about something that was going on in Adam's life, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, I feel like you haven't been listening to me. It's like, ouch, Adam, that hurts me. What do you mean? We've heard that from people that we love, from our friends, from our spouses, from our kids. I feel like you haven't been listening to me. We have a reaction to that. I think the challenge this morning is, what are we going to do when we hear people say, you haven't been listening to me? But I think it's, it's a moment for us to decide that we're going to make a change. See, Adam and I have conversations where he listens, and I know he doesn't really fully understand what I'm saying. Because the reality is, is that I'm black, and Adam's not. And that changes, that means that we have different perspectives on things. But that should never give him an excuse to stop listening. We need to take more time to listen than we do to speak. But I also think what's important to note here is that this is a journey, and that journeys require us to go together. So we need to journey with other people. We have a friend, Josh, who has taken this journey with us and, and participated in conversation. So now instead of two, we've got three people discussing something, and um, you know how that goes. That means that you've got three different perspectives. That requires you to listen more. That requires you to seek to understand more. But that's made our conversations deeper, and I think our friendships better. Mm -hmm. But first, Adam and Josh pursued a relationship with me. Then they asked questions. And then they close their mouths, and they listen. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and listen. We can all learn something about listening. Yeah, I have an interesting example of this. So um, you know my family, uh, most of you, um, and um, I have a 10-year-old son. Um, he's uh, an amazing little boy, an amazing baseball player, 
And uh, when he was uh, four years old, four or five years old, he came to me uh, with a drawing that he drew and wanted me to celebrate in this drawing that he had done. Now, that's, that's a really critical moment as a parent because you know this. I mean, most, most of you have gone through this. When you get a drawing from, from your, your child and, and, and you, you need to know what that is right? You don't, you don't want them to tell you what that is. You're, you somehow need to figure it out. And so you, you look at it, you try to interpret it like some sort of Jackson Pollock painting or something sure. like that, right? And you think through it, and then you listen to some of the things that they're saying, and hopefully you come out the other end, and you're like, yeah, this is a great drawing of, and you get it right, right? That's, that's, that's the goal, but with my son, um, it, at that time, that was really challenging. So, so my son, a big part of what makes him beautiful and special is that he has a hearing disability. And so back then, it, he certainly had a very hard time not only hearing the words that were coming out of my mouth, but then I had a hard time understanding the words coming out of his. And so I get this drawing, and I cannot make it out. Aiden, full confession, I could not understand what that drawing was, uh, but I, I, I was hoping that I would be able to listen to some of the words that he was saying, but I couldn't make his words out. And so I just sat with that drawing, with him, and I studied it, and I, I tried my best to interpret it, and the whole time I'm hearing him frustratingly try to describe what it is that's on that paper, and, and I can't understand uh, all that he's saying, and he can't understand all that I'm saying, but I sat there, and I listened, and I listened, and I looked, and I labored through that for an hour with my son. And after an hour, I saw, I finally, it was leaves, leaves, leaves that had fallen on a tree were on the ground. Those are leaves, Aiden, Aiden, those are leaves. And he's like, yes, that's what I've been telling you for the last hour. But the joy in that moment for my son and I, that's one of my favorite moments in our relationship, Aiden. The joy of us being able to come out on the other end, having labored through the act of listening and seeking to understand. That was beautiful. Hmm. I love that story. I've heard it twice now. It's better the second time. <laughs> I think if you, if you catch some things this morning, catch this idea that no matter how hard the work is and how hard the conversations are, keep speaking, keep listening. Because God's going to bring some change for you. I love that. I love that. Listening and understanding can often be frustrating, but it's our responsibility. We read in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, to react. It's important. We must allow others to communicate with us in their way. Not ours, but theirs. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Yeah. So the first vow, I vow 
to step through barriers and connect with the oppressed. The second vow, I vow to listen and seek to understand the pain of the oppressed. But the third is probably the most important, and that is this. I vow to become the bridge. I vow to become the bridge. Now, this is, this is critical because we talk a lot about building bridges. You know, that's, that's common language that we hear not only in our conversations, but in workplaces and even in churches. We need to build a bridge. What does that mean, though? What are we actually saying when we say that? Rather, I, say that, I think that Scripture actually points to how we need to become the bridge. Because we're told to be the, uh, we're told to follow the example that Christ laid out for us. And what did Jesus do? He became the bridge. We see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, check this out. This is how we know what love is. If you want the definition of love, it is this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me. You see, when we were separated from God because of sin, Each of us born into sin, the sin nature prevalent in each of our lives created this huge chasm between a holy and perfect God and an unholy, imperfect humanity. And there was no way for us to be able to cross that divide. And so Jesus, as a result of that gap, laid down his life and became the bridge for you and for me. And the Bible tells us that when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when we believe that he died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead and is living today, and when we give our lives to him and allow him to be the leader of our lives, the Bible tells us that we are saved because Jesus became the bridge. But here's, that verse doesn't end there because it continues to say this in verse 16, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Jesus set the example, becoming a bridge, and we are to follow the example and be the bridge ourselves, especially for those who are oppressed. Yeah. Be the bridge. Be the bridge. Something that I've said and, and believe in that's been um, a powerful word for me in my faith journey is that I believe that Jesus is never, he's always calling us to deeper. He's always calling us to more. What does that look like? He's never calling us backwards to a shallow or dismissive life, but he's calling us into things. And I think that's true in this situation. Truly loving one another is a commitment to model how Jesus loved. Silence doesn't solve the problem of oppression. Silence won't make the problem go away. Ignorance won't fix it. Throughout American history, Jamar Tisby reminds us in his book, The Color of Compromise, that Christians have all too often chosen silence. They've chosen passivity. The refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself an act of injustice. Indifference to oppression perpetuates oppression. Yes, a bridge allows people to cross over and reach the other side safely, but bridges also allow people to cross from both sides. Another quote that I love comes from a book um, by the author John Piper, author and pastor, and he writes in his book, A Bloodliness 
race cross in the Christian. He points to how God is one God and, and that we are one people. And specifically, this is what he says. There are not two saving covenants. There are not two saved peoples. And the reason is that there are not two ways of salvation. There are not two saviors or two crosses. And so there is no room for fear. There is no room for fear. In 1 John chapter 4, right after this verse in, 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 in verse uh, 16 of chapter 3, it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The love of God is devoid of fear. We read there in 1 John, it says perfect love drives out fear. It moves it away from us. And that's the love that he's given to us. And that's the love that we need to give to others, especially those burdened by the weight of oppression. We need to move. And you know what? As a church, committing to these three vows, I vow to step through the barriers and connect with the oppressed. I vow to listen and seek to understand the pain of the oppressed. And I vow to become the bridge in committing to these three vows. And the journey of where you're going, I can promise you one thing. It's not going to go perfect. Going to make mistakes. You're going to offend people. We're people, we offend people. It's what we do. But we cannot afford to remain silent, to remain in fear that's going to inhibit us in the necessary movement that we need. Because we need to build connection and we need to build understanding. Perfect love drives out fear. We're going to move towards one another. We're not going to let fear keep us from being the bridge. I know this morning as you're listening, you're saying, okay, we're making vows. We're going to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to not live in fear. How are we going to do all this? Who's going to show us the way? And again, no matter our fears, the obstacles we feel like that are too big in front of us, Jesus always shows us the way. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. At the height of the segregation storm in the 1960s, there was a, a white mother who sent her little white daughter to a newly integrated school for the very first time. And she was really anxious, nervous for her daughter in that experience. Her daughter goes to school. Her mother is anxiously awaiting her return all day. And finally, the daughter at the end of the school day comes back through the front door 
And the mom goes to her daughter, anxious to, to hear how things went, and, and, and says, so, so how, how did it go today? And her daughter looks at her and, and, and says, I, I sat by a little black girl all day. And the mother, trepidatious and, 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 and ready to hear whatever trauma that may have that may have been done to her daughter asked, how did that go? And her daughter looked at her mom and said, we were both so scared that we just held hands all day. We don't do this by ourselves. We do this together, all of us. We do it together, hand in hand. Jesus set the way. He set the standard. He made the example. He broke through barriers. He intentionally sought to listen and to understand, and he became the bridge. We serve one God, one holy, almighty God who persists and perpetuates his love on you and I every single day, who sent his one and only son to give his life for you and for I so that we could be one people perpetuating a life that is based on unity and hope and the promise and glory of the resurrected Jesus. That's the future that I want to live and I pray and hope that it's the future that this church can step forward courageously into. Let's pray. Father God, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. Father, you are always leading. You are always up ahead of us and you beckon us. You say, come follow me. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not only see you ahead, Lord, that we would understand that there is a way that we should go, Lord, that there is someone that we should follow. But I pray, maybe more importantly, that we would have the courage to step beyond fear and to grasp a hold of the love and the hope promised to us because of the joy of our salvation. that we would recognize there's a better way to trust you, to place it specifically in your hands where it belongs, knowing you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. So shall we never leave one another or forsake our brothers and sisters, but together, hand in hand, walk forward in the path that you've laid out. We pray in your name. Amen.